0: Hello and welcome to a very special A Star to Steer Her By, a Star Trek podcast this week. As usual, I am Ames. I am Caitlin.
1: I am Jake. And this is Chris.
0: And this is a particularly special episode because we alluded a couple couple episodes ago that we'd be doing short stories as a celebration of having just finished watching all of the original series, which we just did. And we picked random names out of hats, we picked our crew members, and we picked our random guest stars, and the four of us wrote little something-somethings. So this is a special 10 forward episode. I'm calling it Tales from the Holodeck 1. I don't know if Chris will allow that to happen. I like it. Do we want to just dive in, or do you want to talk about the, the idea a little bit? I think we dive in.
2: Let's dive in. I think you should also note, though, that the order of reading is from worst to best story. <laughs> it Clearly. is true. That Clearly. Clearly. It is true. Uh, no, actually, the, the ordering of the stories is completely random. We did a dice roll, so if they a, happen to, to fall worst too. to best, then that's just how it goes. I mean... It's Jake's just,
0: just saying this because he's going last. It's definitely going
2: to be... Well we, don't, well, we don't know that. The, they don't know that. They so, do now. Well, they'll figure it out later when I go last.
0: No. You're assuming they'll, they'll listen all the way through after mine rocks the house That's so bad true. they just they're gonna, they're turn, gonna, turn it they're off and say, say, I'm done now.
2: like, you know what, I don't need to hear another one because that was so great. What's the format? What are we going to do? So you're going to read your story and then we're going to chat, talk about the story, or is it just read and then next...
3: Yeah, I think discussion will happen. Yeah, yeah. I think I think
0: and knowing us, discussion will always happen.
2: This is true. In,
3: in my case. I'll apologize profusely for the quality of my. No. fanfics. I'll be ready for that. This is no, going to be great. It's, it's going to really be wonderful. great.
0: It's all right. I mean, I
3: think everyone's going we'll to really s- be wonderful. We'll have to I'm stop
0: really ourselves from forward discussing forward. in the middle of the story. Yes.
2: yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, so the rest of us will remain silent.
0: Whoa!
3: This during, is, does anyone believe Jake? Well, I mean, we can that? we can make
2: like we can make like. Ooh. Ah. Oh.
3: Yeah, I mean I think a little giggling and like oh my god type stuff is inevitable.
2: But, yeah, but, but no, yeah. no no commentary. We're No right. we agree, no commentary, no verbal out. discussion during the story? Is that... Don't
0: don't walk out audibly during the story? Yeah. <laughs> what if I have to pee?
2: If you have to fart loudly? Try to hold it. If not... Chris. We'll just work it in. (laughs) We'll work it in. You work it out, we'll work it in. It's a sound (laughs) weird now. Oh, God. Fire
1: photons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got to keep that now. So I made the the dice roll of three, which Uh, somehow uh, means uh. I go first. So I'll be going first. Uh, To remind listeners, I'm just going to say who my picks were because we've already said them on air before and I'll say them again now. Characters that I drew out of various hats were Spock. Off, Yeoman Martha Landon, and A Sentient Cloud. My story, I've titled Sentient Life, because I'm artsy like that. The one thing that I will say now is I don't know how my Pavel Chekhov is going to come out, because I don't have a Russian accent. Oh, don't worry, neither did he. I have, <laughs> I have no accents at all, so we'll see how this goes.
2: Don't hurt yourself, Ames. I'll
0: try, I'll try. All right, I'm going to begin. Wow. <sighs> I can only tell this story in hindsight, because the details have fallen into place in a most unsettling way. I reflect upon it often. My world is destroyed. I do not mean that literally. It is still here, a planet called Polochka, but everything I know about it is in shambles. I apologize. Language is a new phenomenon to me. Let me begin with when the strangers arrived out of literally nowhere and changed everything forever. "'Captain's log,' said their leader, "'a corporeal being I am compelled to call strikingly handsome, "'though I do not entirely understand why. (laughs) "'The reports of the beings on the planet's surface are correct. "'They are ravaging the machinery, "'and Chief Engineer Scott says the unmanned stations require extensive repairs. "'I am assigning a away team to study the creatures "'and determine preventative measures "'to keep them from interfering with the stations. "'I have never considered myself a being or a creature before.' I have never considered myself in anything before. The fleshy beings moved among us, pointing instruments this way and that, and talking quietly among themselves. A particularly solid-looking individual approached the leader and simply said, Fascinating. I would eventually learn his name was Commander Spock, and whenever I think of him, conflicted feelings torment my memories. I think blue, because that was the color of his shirt. I think cold because that was the temperature of the air that lapped gently at the bristling hairs on his neck. I think smooth, because that was the quality of his voice that undulated like a silk ribbon on a soft breeze. But I get ahead of myself. Tricorder readings are consistent with the reports, Captain, crooned Spock to the leader of the newcomers, whose name would turn out to be James Kirk. The beings are advanced life forms, though we are unable to communicate with them. My form still surprises me. Shapeless, like a puff of slithering smoke with a mind, the energy of our cloudy bodies had caused the stations on this barren pl- planet to cease functioning. We didn't mean it. We didn't even know. The crew members discussed ways to alleviate the problem for a long time, but a hard-featured man with a rolling voice whom the others called Scotty dismissed each for technical reasons the others were not immediately aware of. Perhaps we just got a- rid of the cloud beings, suggested a short, round-faced crewman with a thick accent. Popled Chekhov. When I think back on Ensign Chekhov, the images that come to mind are very different. I think gold, which it turns out looks very different from blue. I think hot, because his moist palms clenched together with heat in them. And I think lust, because yeoman Martha Landon was nearby. <laughs> I know nothing about beauty, except that Martha Landon was beautiful, with smooth blonde hair arranged neatly in an updo, sapphire eyes, and a restless quality about her like a steak about to molt. She approached the group with her own device, pointed at me and my my people, a look of incredulity on her face. But these are advanced beings. That's what you said. If this is a society of intelligent beings, then the Prime Directive clearly states that we not interfere with them. When I remember her, I recall a warmth I cannot place. Perhaps this is how beings respond to beauty. Kirk smiled in a practiced way, both fatherly and patronizing. That's a very good point, Yeoman, but this station predates the Prime Directive, so perhaps we should just bypass the formalities. (coughs) Shall I contact Starfleet Command and request their thoughts on the subject? I'm sure they can determine whether the Prime Directive applies. There was something forceful in her words, though she spoke them as plainly as usual. Perhaps it was in her expression, that powerful something that stood up to authority. She instantly became more attractive. The captain's expression fell to a mildly stunned wince, though he tried to hide it under his words. No need for that. I suppose we can do this one by the books after all. "'That was very impressive, Martha, "'very diplomatic of you,' said (laughs) Chekhov, "'mispronouncing the V's in his speech. "'The sexual tension between the two young crew members "'pulled him involuntarily close to the yeoman, Mm. "'close enough to brush against her shoulder, "'close enough to put his arm around the small of her back. "'Thank you, Pav,' she said, "'and Casta looked down at the ground "'in what could either have been shyness or embarrassment. "'Kirk cleared his throat. "'Chekhov, Miss Landed, "'would you be so kind as to capture one of the beings "'so Spock can run more tests?' If it's as intelligent as you say, I'd like to reason with it. Maybe we can work something out. After sharing a meaningful glance with Spock, the captain and the first officer walked away. Did I tell you that Polochka was settled as a Russian station, Martha? Chekhov asked, palms (laughs) growing warmer. The rest of their exchange does not exist in my memory. Suffice it to say, they they succeeded in encasing me in a containment device. I shall not bore you with the hours of tests that Spock and the chief medical officer, a charming doctor called McCoy, with a voice like melting butter, performed on me as I was not aware of them. Members of my kind contain no sensory organs. We neither hear, nor see, nor feel, nor perceive the sensations of any of the countless organs that constitute other life forms. These beings did not even exist to me. Nothing did. Nothing ever had. The doctor crossed his arms, clenched his jaw, and turned his attention abruptly to his counterpart. It's impossible. The things are simply not sentient beings. They're only mindless clouds, and we should deal with them and be on our way instead of wasting more of our time here. Spock, while trying to appear unvexed, betrayed an expression of irritation in his sharp, jagged features. There is a difference, Doctor, between sentience and sapience. It is still quite possible that the lifeforms contain marked intelligence, as the sensors indicate. From the doorway, when, where he and Landon idled, Chekhov asked, Is there no way to get through to them? McCoy paced, his agitation displaying itself with each tense step. We've tried everything. Extreme temperatures, UV light, radiation. A veritable torture chamber of effects. They haven't caused any reaction in the slightest. What about phasers? Chekhov took out a device and shot a beam of phased energy that whizzed straight through the wisps of my cloud-like form and smashed a glass jar behind me which scattered shards all around. (laughs) Landon screamed, Pav, what are you doing? The yeoman shrieked. Fire in her blue eyes. That could have killed it. What's the problem? There was no harm done. You didn't know that when you shot it. Do you ever think before you do a thing? No. (laughs) Thank you, Caitlin. (laughs) That's perfect, actually. McCoy and Spock both looked on with eyebrows knowingly raised. Flustered, Chekhov continued. But Martha, Mr. Spock says the creature can't even feel anything. It probably doesn't even have the ability to think. That is unconfirmed, Ensign, Spock imparted. In fact, I am am reminded of an old Earth thought experiment known as the Floating Man Theory, established by your philosopher Avicenna. You first imagine a being floating in a void, who cannot perceive external phenomena, not even itself, using any sense organs. Then imagine if said being can be aware of its own existence. I... I can't! exclaimed Chekhov. Most minds are not made for these kinds of experiences. Spock's, on the unle- uh, however, proved to be the more uh, most advanced of them, as I was about to learn. Precisely. Perhaps we should find that out now. McCoy fidgeted an- anxiously. What are you getting at, Spock? I shall attempt to establish the Vulcan mind melt with the life form, Doctor. And if there is any evidence of intelligence, I shall be able to communicate it. Something began to stir, like raindrops hitting the surface of a pool of water. From my containment field, I could discern tactility for the first time, and it simultaneously stabbed through me like teeth plunging into flesh and caressed me like cotton cloth. The fact that I almost immediately understood these sensations caught me off guard, and I later attributed this to the man who opened my non-existent eyes to everything within the world, from nothing to literally everything. If I could cry out, I would have. I started to see as Spock could see. It overwhelmed me, but I could not turn it off. I sensed hunger and pain, and a strange deep sadness that stemmed either from myself or from the pointed-eared man who was delving deep into my consciousness, searching for something. And more than that, knowledge, memories, restrained emotions, a sense of wonderment that seemed to contain universes, and all the other connections which occur in the developed brain to make reasoning possible, all turned on as easily as flicking a switch. "'Spock seemed just as perplexed "'with what he encountered in my cloud mind. "'I could see myself from his point of view, "'watched myself wince and change color, "'and I wondered if that was how I always appeared. "'The change became a mass of sentience "'that waterfalled on me, "'battering me down and down. "'I am no judge, "'but it felt as if the pain went on for eons. "'Remarkable,' said Spock, in awe. "'It is self-aware, if nothing else. "'It does contain intelligence.' "'What is it saying, Spock?' asked Captain Kirk.' I do not know when he entered the lab. Do you think you can get the creatures to avoid the machinery on the planet? Negative, Captain. Their lack of senses make them intrinsically unaware of their surroundings. They have no control over their effects on the stations. My mind was reeling nauseatingly, and I wondered how aware Spock was of what he was doing to me, what I was becoming. Chekov came closer to me then. There must be some way we can give them the ability, Mr. Spock. What if you constructed some kind of instrument? No! Landon exclaimed. You've done your tests! You've learned that they are intelligent beings. They just think differently from us. Captain, does this not indicate that we must enforce the prime directive and leave them alone? The rest of the room quieted to an airy stillness, and attention directed en masse to the captain. Kirk's look softened before becoming quite chipper. Very good, yeoman. You are, of course, most correct, and appreciated as our moral backbone in this matter. You've done quite well. She approached him then. Captain, with your recommendation, I think I would like to return to Starfleet Academy and refocus my position to a more diplomatic one. It seems to me that diplomacy is a skill that could use more representation among Starfleet officers. (laughs) Chekhov's hurt feelings came out in a pitiable... Martha? Pav, this could be a unique opportunity for me, Landon insisted, though her satisfaction highlighted her soft features and a rare smile appeared on her face. I shared in this proud moment for the respectable yeoman. The logic of her words came filtered through the mind-meld, which began to fade as the science officer started to recuperate from his journey into my consciousness. The captain made a final log entry, deeming it necessary to return me to the surface, dismantle the unmanned station, and let my race control the planet despite our ignorance of its very existence. Perhaps one day, they mused, we would evolve into something greater, organize our communities, and set off on a path into the glittering stars as well. I could sense the crew members beginning to disperse, even Spock, who moved further and further away until I was left literally senseless again. But the memories linger horribly still. Every moment, I am aware of all I cannot perceive, and the knowledge haunts me. None know this, for I cannot communicate it, and my species cannot hear it anyway. Lord Byron once said, as I found written in Spock's mind during our intimate moment together, (laughs) The great art of life is sensation, to feel that we exist, even in pain. I have thus become an artist of invisible works, changed forever by one casual encounter, a sentient being among the clouds.
3: Damn.
2: Glad
0: I don't have to follow that.
3: That was fucking really
2: good. (laughs) That was really good. Wow, I like that. Did you? Yeah. It It was super good. No, I like that. That That got dark. dark. This is how I
0: write. I don't write happy, frilly stories. Oh, man. I
3: thought it was really good. No, honestly, you know what it's brought up for me now, though? Uh How come fucking Chekhov can't pronounce Vs? His name is fucking Pavel. Yup. There's a V in his name. Pavel. There's two Vs in his name. Chekhov. He doesn't go around being like, I'm Pavel Chekhov. Pavel Chekhov. Fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, right. I'm really fucking angry now, and this is your fault. So thank you. You're welcome. You're, You're angry. The cloud
1: is sad.
0: Sad cloud.
1: I gotta say you Dogs did a.
0: Living together.
3: You,
1: you did good work off of a sentient cloud.
0: Yeah, I I actually had that uh, the floating man thought experiment in my head for months now. I think I've probably even told it to people before. But that in the story, I only include like the half of it. The, hmm. the experiment of can something with no senses sense itself? Hmm. And Avicenna, the philosopher from, I want to say. Iraq, but I forget, some general Middle Eastern area from hundreds of years ago said the answer is yes, because they have a soul, and that's how souls work. Whole soul, soul, souls. Hashtag religion. That's some great logic. Which I think kind of ruins the thought experiment, but whatever. Mm. It got very warm in here, very
2: quickly. It is very
1: warm.
0: (coughs) It was cool
3: earlier. Very warm. Wait till I read my fic. Oh. (gasps) That's really gonna get
2: hot. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, no, I like that one. I like Thank that you. too. It was Sorry, really, really good. Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't go for cute, silly stories.
3: It makes me feel like embarrassed by, by what I've. Written. Oh <laughs> no, I think yours is going to be another kind I of. I amazing. also like that you
1: found an excuse for Landon to not be around ever again.
0: I actually wondered. I was trying to even look up like how, how does Starfleet Academy work? I. Didn't find an easy answer, so I gave up and said, you know what, she wants She wants to go back and study to be a lawyer so that she can come back to say to Kirk and say, you fucked everything up, you're under arrest.
1: Yeah. Mm. I mean, certainly in, in the original series, because I don't think they have Yeoman in later series. Yeah, But really? there did seem to be the ability to, like... Because I don't know if Yeoman is an enlisted... Or not? I assume it must be. Yeah, is it? Probably. Are
3: they like are they like apprentice nuns? They're like apprentice Starfleet officers. Yeah, but I mean,
1: like when we do see Rand later in cameos in the movies, she's a full officer, so there must be the ability to to progress. Yeah, right? to maybe go to the academy or whatever. Then again, this is also a series that doesn't quite know how medical school works because Chapel is mentioned as having become an MD by the time of the motion picture.
2: Yeah, you get promoted from being nurse to MD.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the future. Yes. I
3: mean, being a doctor seems to be a lot easier in the future, to be fair. That's true. They, they just have, wave a wand at somebody yeah. and you're done. You're like, oh, well, I know what's wrong with you, and you take this pill. Yeah, that until, seems like have to, until you have to that.
2: reattach somebody's brain. Yeah. Well, that was,
0: you know... How That's, often does that occur? Actually, probably strikingly often.
2: Uh, Do you want to move on then? Uh,
3: Glad Chris gets to follow that. I'm
2: just
0: saying that was amazing,
3: and I would not want to be the next one. Just saying.
1: I'm not even gonna try to do voices, so I apologize in advance. I don't really
3: want to follow you either though, because I know you're good too. It's alright.
0: you both are following two English majors, so enjoy. Yay.
2: Yes, we have first we have the well constructed, well written stories. Then we'll have Jake and Caitlin's Jake and fuck fest. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Honestly, I think that's a good way to do it. That,
1: I aims, I hate to say this, but we might have a new title for the episode. <laughs> Jake and
3: Caitlin's fuck fest. Yes, please. That'd be fucking <laughs> amazing. Uh,
1: I like tales from the holodeck. That is cool. I like that, too. even though they. Actually, I think they retcon claimed they did have them. Did. Anyway.
3: Yeah.
0: And this way we can do a, do more of them, too. Yeah, but it could be theme.
3: Tales from the Holodeck, Jake and Caitlin's Fuckfest. There you go. That would work. And then Holodeck 2 could be Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> as is tradition. We will
1: certainly. Wouldn't have to be The Wrath of Holodeck? Though, yeah,
3: you're right. right. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. When you're right, you're right. <coughs> the Wrath of Jake and Caitlin's Fuckfest. <laughs> All right.
1: Oh, yeah. I saw him come up with that. I saw him get a placeholder title. We'll call
2: this one The Air. Good one. Ooh. Like Uh, air is in air or like air. A G I R.
3: Oh, that's okay. That's different one. Oh, that's right. You've got Gothos, don't you?
2: Yeah.
1: You've got everyone I wanted to get. I do. I have Gothos, Apollo, McCoy, and Sulu.
3: I have a boner.
1: Mm. It's (laughs) apparent. McCoy stared at the report in his hand. Normal. Everything normal. He was beginning to tire of everything normal because he had lost track of the number of times everything normal soon turned into some damn near disaster for the Enterprise and everyone on it. His frustrated contemplation was interrupted by Nurse Chapel walking into the room carrying a small handful of data tapes. "'Well?' he asked as she put them on his desk. "'How's the mother?' A little annoyed we keep taking her baby away from her, but otherwise doing well. She paused and stared at the tapes for a moment. "'She wants to know why we're doing so many extra tests. "'It's making her concerned something is wrong, and I don't intend to lie to her.'" "'And you're not.'" Doctor, well, I'm not entirely clear why we're doing all these tests. I'm worried something might be wrong. You saw the obstetrician's report? Everything's fine. He stood and put on his best, unconcerned smile and hoped it would lend credibility to what he was about to say. But since we don't know who the father is, which it is her right to keep to herself, nurse, I know, we don't have a full medical history of her child. I just want to be as ready as possible in case something unexpected should come up. Hmm... She raised her eyebrows in a way that reminded him all too much of Mr. Spock and his most frustratingly sardonic. But unlike the Vulcan, this was not followed with a barb, and she simply headed for the door with a professional but on the edge of Kurt. I'll bring along the next batch as soon as they're ready. Thank you, nurse. Down in the rarely used maternity bay, Carolyn Palamas held her child as it dozed. She smiled at the boy, even now still barely believing he was there. By rights, he shouldn't exist. From the moment she was told that she was pregnant, right up through the whole thing... She was waiting up waking to wake up from a dream, or receive the devastating news that it had all been some kind of misunderstanding, a false positive caused by, well, something. One didn't need to be in Starfleet long before realizing the universe made far, far less sense than everyone taught you as a child. Her head snapped up as she heard the doors to the bay suddenly open, and she unconsciously held her baby a little closer. She assumed it was going to be Chapel again, taking her child away for another round of vague exams. She was always so afraid. What if they figured it out? He'd surely wind up in some Starfleet medical lab, poked and prodded and... Hi, Lieutenant, came an unexpected voice. Oh, she smiled. Sulu, hello. He stood in the doorway holding a large vase containing an odd array of things that were certainly recognizable as plants and flowers, but definitely none she'd ever seen. The stalks mostly hid him from view, and after a moment he peered around them. And what's all this, she asked. A neat little concoction of flowers from Rigel, Tarsus Four, and Andoria, ordering flowers on their homeworld, but proven to create a relaxing influence on humans and a handful of other species. No adverse side effects, don't worry. And Nurse Chaplet said neither you nor the baby should be allergic. He glanced over at a small table next to her bed. May I? Please. She watched as he plunked them down and was almost immediately aware of the collective aroma. Thank you. You're welcome. "'Nice to flex my botany muscles here and there, on occasion.' (laughs) The door suddenly hissed open again, and in a moment Dr. McCoy was in the room, making a face that Palamas supposed was meant to be friendly, but he couldn't hide the concern from his eyes. That was replaced somewhat quickly, however, by mild surprise when he spotted Sulu. "'Oh,' he said. "'Sorry, didn't know you had a visitor. I can come back later.' "'You don't need my child?' she asked, her tone somewhat more venomous than she had meant. "'No, no,' he pursed his lips. "'He's fine. Perfectly healthy. Couldn't think of any other test to run if I wanted.' "'And you're sure you don't want to?' "'Well, I should,' Sulu began. Carolyn came a voice from, it seemed, every direction at once. "'The physician only wants what is best for our child. "'Forgive him his overzealousness.' "'That voice,' McCoy mumbled. "'Impossible. "'Nothing is possible for the gods of old, physician.' "'The voice now seemingly had a point of origin, and everyone looked towards it. "'A small burst of light appeared and grew, "'and in a moment coalesced into the form of a tall man in golden robes "'with a laurel wreath perched on a mass of dark hair.' Apollo, Sulu gasped. But I saw you disappear on Pollock's 4, McCoy said. You said you were... were... Spreading himself upon the winds, Palamas choked out, her eyes welling with tears. And he did. Or he tried to. Carolyn loved me, Doctor, explained Apollo, despite the cruel ruse you and your captain forced her to act upon me. And that love was enough to hold my essence in this plane. He's been visiting me in my dreams since then. And you claim, began McCoy, before Apollo cut him off, I am father of the child, yes. Well, that's a new one for the medical
3: journals.
1: (laughs) Apollo strode over to the bed, extending a hand and caressing Palamas' face. He looked down at the baby and brushed the back of his hand over one of its arms. The baby's eyes slowly opened, and Apollo beamed at it. Mm -hmm. I haven't come up with a name yet, Palamas said. Asclepius seemed a little too... (laughs) on the nose. And to be honest, I wasn't sure if he was real or something humans came up with after you left. I shall choose a suitable name. Do not worry. He held his hands wide. Now, hand him over. What? I have come to collect my son. He shall not be raised as a mere mortal. The blood of gods runs in his veins. But, but you said, I have changed my mind. You promised, she spat, pulling the baby tighter to her. I may do what I like. An unpleasant sneer bent his lip. Do you intend to deny me that which is rightfully mine? Rightfully hell, McCoy snapped, making his way to the opposite side of the bed. These two are my patients, and they're not going anywhere without... How will you stop me? The ship suddenly lurched, sending McCoy and Sulu sprawling. Apollo gestured, and a glowing field of green held Palamas and the child firmly in place. Red alert sirens began to blare as the familiar, easily forgotten background hum of the ship's engines went dead. Apollo approached Palamas, who was still surrounded by the green field. With a wave of his hand, the field pulled away from the baby, and he reached out a hand for it. Palamas visibly struggled to move, to get a tighter grip on her child as the god continued to reach out, and then, remarkably, another pair of hands emerged. They were the same green as the shield around Palamis, and attached to nothing. Simple hands with wrists that became wisps before vanishing. They grabbed Apollo's hands and shoved him back with remarkable force, sending the gods sprawling at the same time that Sulu and McCoy were getting themselves righted. Do not dare, a voice echoed, somehow far away and right in everyone's ears at once. Do you hear that, Doctor? Sulu whispered. It's the same voice. I knew this was going too well, McCoy grumbled. No, Apollo spat from his place on the floor, his voice sounding a little odd somehow. Was it higher? A strange haze had begun to surround him as well. No, don't you dare interfere. How how can you interfere? You said it yourself, the voice went on, sounding a little less distant. Nothing is impossible for the gods of old. This isn't fair, shouted the hazy Apollo, clambering to his feet. He was a little more than a humanoid outline now. The glow was so strong. Still, it was possible Tully had begun to stamp his foot. I listened in to every single one of your talks. You couldn't get back to this world fully. You could only get to the space between the winds and here. McCoy had waded his way over to Palamas. The shield had faded from her, and she clutched, was clutching her baby. It was beginning to let out little sobs. You to okay? McCoy asked. Yes, yes, Palamas managed to say, staring between her baby and the glow in the room. But doctor, what's happening? What do we do? Zulu asked, also having made his way to the bed. I don't know, McCoy shook his head. I don't know in either case. I don't think this is something ordinary security could... I'll have that child, the glow shouted, its voice no longer remotely that of Apollo. Oh no, it can't be, McCoy hissed his (laughs) eyes wide. The glow faded, standing in the middle of the room in the same ridiculous clothes McCoy remembered was Trelane. (laughs) Him again, Sulu snapped. Doctor, Navigator, please, the voice echoed, protect my child. Some mighty god, Trelane shouted at the ceiling, has to enlist inferior beings to fight his fights for him. The superpowered child's eyes snapped over to the bed and seized on Sulu. All right, then. He snapped his fingers, and a rapier was in his hand. He snapped again, and the flowers in the vase suddenly became a matching weapon. I remember looking into your mind when you were in my captivity, Mr. Sulu. You fancy yourself a swordsman? Then have at you! Trelane lunged, and Sulu barely had time to grab the plant's turned weapons and deflect the blade away. He returned with a slash of his own, but his opponent jumped back. The navigator then went on the offensive, pushing Trelane away from the bed, its occupants, and McCoy with a series of violent attacks that he knew had no chance of landing, but they were at least moving the fight towards the door to the hallway. Trelane attempted a few blocks, but had to keep moving back, even during his rare, successful deflection. "'I say, Mr. Sulu, you don't just fancy yourself a swordsman,' Trelane said with a grin, hopping back from another slash so that the door to the hall had to open. "'I must say, I'm impressed.' "'What do you want with the baby, Trelane?' Sulu demanded, blocking a rare shot from the stealth-styled general." Oh, that baby is surely going to be special, Trelane said with a chuckle as the fight continued into the hall. A repair crew that had been rushing down the corridor had to leap out of their way. Apollo's people aren't too different from mine. We can tap into great power sources naturally. With him by my side, well, I could have all kinds of fun. Even my parents wouldn't be able to stop me eventually. Your definition of fun is a bit dangerous for everyone else. Maybe. He snapped his fingers again, and the rapier in Sulu's hand was a bundle of flowers again. But as long as I'm happy... Trelane lunged again, but Sulu sidestepped him and swung the bundle of plants at the back of his head. (laughs) (laughs) The one from Rigel had a particularly solid stalk, and the hit was enough to throw Trelane off kilter. Sulu then hooked one of his feet between Trelane's and pulled, sending his opponent sprawling face down into the deck. The impact caused Trelane to lose his grip on his own sword, and Sulu dove for it. In a moment, the navigator had his boot on Trelane's back and the tip of his sword to the back of his neck. Don't... move... Is it technically moving, Trelane said, an instant he and Sulu were back in the maternity ward, though their positions had not changed. If I do this... But before Trelane could say or do anything else, he felt a large hand grab him by the shoulders and effortlessly haul him to his feet. He found himself staring into the slightly translucent but very angry eyes of Apollo. Oh, come on! You said... As though rules matter to you, might, Apollo growled, his voice filling the room. "'Now go. I have already summoned your parents. "'I shall give you a head start. Hmm. "'A gift to you on the day of my son's birth. "'But should you ever attempt such a thing again?' "'There was a terrible sound like lightning and a flash. "'When everything cleared, Trelane was gone. "'Apollo stood there for a moment, grimacing, and he faltered. "'McCoy swept in and held him up, which looked entirely strange, "'since Apollo kept fluctuating between looking very solid "'and almost entirely transparent. Carolyn, he gasped. "'Apollo. My... my... "'He reached towards the bed, and McCoy helped him over.' He gently touched the baby's cheek with a fingertip. He's perfect, yes, Palomas managed to say, tears streaming down her face. I'm sorry, this act forcing myself into this plane again. I will truly be one with the winds now, even our love cannot. It was for our son. Yes, he smiled. He beginning to fade again, and this time there was no increased solidity afterwards. Care for him, make sure he knows who, of course. she took one of his fading hands in her own and held it to her face, of course. And then with a final smile, Apollo vanished.
3: God damn it, I had to follow that? What is going on? <laughs> Not
0: enough McCoy.
1: <laughs>
0: that was really good. That was really I loved good. that. Yeah. I love that you went with the idea that the, that Apollo impregnated her in that storm.
1: Yeah. Oh no, it was after that.
0: What it was oh. in her
1: dreams. Oh.
0: I like the st- I apologize the for storm being was clear. perfect though. You yeah. Apollo
1: jazz. But the storm was way too
2: rapey. I wanted it to mm. be consensual. That's a good point. Oh, okay. I, I, like, I do like that uh, that Trelaine and Apollo apparently know each other and <laughs> don't like each other.
3: And Apollo knows his parents' number, like he's got the yeah. speed dial. Trelane's always coming around and fucking
1: about. Yeah, yeah, I kind of figure all the sort of higher beings kinda of know each other. There's like a higher beings Facebook. You're gonna send them a message. Ugh.
0: I don't want to hang out with the Metron today. do <laughs> yeah. uh, you imagine
2: that, that um, like Trillane is like the Eddie Haskell of the Supreme Beings Club.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was Eddie Haskell?
2: <clears throat> He's from, uh, what was it, Leave It to Beaver?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was a little shit, but he was always like super nice when yeah, the yeah, parents, parents around, around. So That's like, were around. As little
2: shits
0: tend to be. Uh, yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Uh. I know you said you weren't going to do voices, but your trilling was very Trillane. Oh, thank you.
2: I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was more of a cadence, I'd say, than a yes. voice. Yes. But it definitely it got the point across.
0: And I
3: loved the little bratty <laughs> things that you had him doing, like the stamping and the this and that. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, it's so good. That's
2: that's good, yeah. Good characterization. I Thank loved you. it. Oh, man. So, Caitlin, are you as nervous as I am about looking like a shithead?
3: I'm so nervous I <coughs> need to <come> go <coughs> use with the restroom, actually. Can we pause can I go have a piss and then sure. come back and read sure, this sure.
0: piss? <laughs> right. we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about you behind your back. <laughs>
2: <fine. laughs> There's our new theme. Okay. All right. So. All right. Caitlin's up. Caitlin's up. Uh, well, not, not yet,
3: but give it time. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, my characters were Captain Kirk, Finnegan, Finnegan. Lieutenant Uhura, and Cyrano Jones. Right. That's fun. Uh, Here we go. Hopefully, <coughs> the title... <laughs> oh, we're
2: really laughing at this fucking shit. Uh, the title is Where No Man Has Gone For. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun. I don't
3: know. There's a lot of exposition. Captain's Log, Stardate 2435.8. After several grueling months in deep space, Enterprise crew has been granted shore leave for all crew members. As luck would have it our travels have brought us close to space station K7. This time the crew should be able to enjoy their visit without any Klingon <laughs> interference. It will also give us a chance to see how our old friend Cyrano Jones has been doing on eradicating the Tribble infestation on board. We are approaching Space Station K-7 now, Captain. Good work, Ensign. Lieutenant Ahura, please hail Space Station K-7 to inform them of our approach, said Kirk, shifting in his captain's chair to switch leaning arms. (laughs) 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 Yes, Captain, intoned Ahura. Transmitting now. Kirk noticed for the first time how bored Ahura looked, and how tired. (laughs) It seems the lieutenant is in need of a break. Possibly more than the rest of us, he thought. Captain, sensors indicate a significant number of life forms on board. I wonder if Cyrano Jones has been shirking his duties as regards the Tribbles. I hope to see about that exact thing, Spock, said Kirk. Jones is a sneaky devil. Kirk would never say that. There's no telling if he's been taking his punishment seriously, or at all. Oh, Mr. Jones is definitely still on board, Captain, said O'Hora, turning from her communication station. He and I have kept in touch, and I let him know we'd be visiting. She averted her eyes, a secret smile on her face. <laughs> Thank you, Lieutenant, said Kirk. That's the element of surprise lost, thought Kirk, feeling a little bitter. Still, if he's been slacking the last year, it will soon be simple to tell. Why would Ahura be in touch with Jones? Kirk pushed the intercom button on his chair, and the bosun's whistle- Oh, damn. (whistles) Sounded across the ship. That was good. Thank you. Attention crew, we'll be reaching Space Station K7 in a matter of moments. As discussed, please report to transport room in your assigned groups at your assigned times. Please report to your assigned station if you are first shift for shore leave duties. I'll be beaming down shortly. Kirk out. Pulling into dock now, Captain, said Chekov, his fingers moving over the nav panel. Enjoy your shore leave, Captain. I plan to, Chekov. I plan to, said Kirk, standing and heading towards the transporter room. Ah, there you are, Jones, said Kirk, striding. Oh, I made a... A thing with some asterisks in the middle of the page (laughs) to indicate that we've jumped to a new scene. (laughs) Ah, there you are, Jones, said Kirk, striding down the lush hallway of Space Station K7, some half an hour later. Cyrano Jones turned to greet the captain, a wide smile on his wide face. He was dressed just as Kirk remembered, forest green jacket over a striped shirt, hair must, but recently cut and clearly cared for. (laughs) Friend Kirk, the large man (laughs) exclaimed, (laughs) a laugh shaking through him as he vigorously shook the captain's hand. Such a pleasure to see you. Do you notice, Kirk, that there is nary a triple in sight? I have worked hard and completed your task well ahead of schedule. And I have found myself some new, and legitimate let me assure you, work on board the, sta- the space station. All thanks to you, Kirk. All the Tribbles, gone. Asked <laughs> Kirk. And you, doing legitimate work? This is all a bit hard to believe. What? <laughs> <laughs> what work have you found on board the space station? Why, Kirk said Jones, putting an arm around the captain's shoulders and guiding him back down the corridor. Why not let me show you what I've been up to? Yes, I think you'll find it most interesting, even enjoyable. And I don't worry. And don't worry for a second about cost. This one is on me. Asterisk. 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 Ooh, it's a lot. So many asterisks. Kirk wasn't sure how he'd let Cyrano Jones talk him into a trial of his new business, but he was delighted to find himself seated in a plush waiting area outside of the double doors of a larger, as yet mysterious, chamber. It was as he sat with these thoughts in his mind that he heard the outer door of the waiting room open and turned just in time to hear, Jimmy, my boy, it's been a long time, boy (laughs) (laughs) Kirk jumped out of his chair and crossed to the new arrival, his twin in a command gold and black uniform. The handsome man before him, with his brown curls and mischievous leprechaun's smile, was a few years older than when last they'd met. "'Do I detect some gray?' thought Kirk smugly. Mm. "'But there was no mistaking him.' "'Finnegan!' laughed Kirk, embracing his friend, "'rather than shake his offered hand. "'It's been too long, old friend. "'What good fortune to find us both on Space Station K-7!' "'Also something Kirk would never say.' "'Ay, it has, Jimmy boy! It has at that!' laughed Finnegan. "'And I'm not surprised to find you here in this den of ill repute, you scallywag!' <laughs> "'Den of... what on earth are you talking about, Finnegan?' <sighs> "'asked Kirk, coming around, confounded. What "'What could possibly be wrong with this place?' Oh, don't play the innocent with me, Jimmy boy, Finnegan said sternly. I've known you too long to believe any of your false naivete. How would an Irishman even say naivete? Kirk was about to protest Thank again. na dee <laughs> Kirk was about to protest again when Cyrano Jones entered the room through the double doors, quickly closing them behind him. Ah, Captain Finnegan, welcome back. I see you've met our good Captain Kirk. Right this way, gentlemen. Your mistress awaits. <laughs> yeah the two men <laughs> is that in there? <laughs> yep, yep right here. The two men did as they were told and followed Jones through the double doors. Inside was a large round chamber with many doors leading to other as yet hidden rooms. Once inside, the gregarious giant instructed them to disrobe down to their underclothes, <gasps> storing their uniforms, phasers and boots in individual cubbies. Don't worry, gentlemen, you'll find there's no need for weapons or clothing here. Curiouser and curiouser, thought Kirk. I wonder how far down the rabbit hole we'll go today. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It is only better in retrospect. (laughs) Cyrano Jones led the two men to one of the far doors, knocking sharply twice before opening the door and ushering the two men inside. Enjoy yourselves, gentlemen, said Jones, before shutting the door behind them, plunging the two men into complete darkness. Time for a little payback, Kirk, thought Jones. I think you could use some of the humble pie you force-fed me, friend. (laughs) Asterisk, 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 asterisk. It's locked from the outside, said Kirk after trying the door's panel. What is that Jones playing at, Finnegan? What is this place? Oh, you'll soon find out, Jimmy boy. Look! Finnegan pointed across the darkened chamber where a door panel was sliding open, revealing a stunning, cocoa-skinned beauty. Dressed in thigh-high, shiny leather, high-heeled boots, a black leather bustier dress, a red-jeweled, black lace collar, and in her hands, a large strap-on and a whip? (gasps) The woman's face was still in shadow, but the two men saw her teeth as she smiled. Have you come to serve your mistress, boys? Yes, mistress, Finnegan replied immediately, (laughs) kneeling on the floor. When Kirk did not answer, the black-clad figure's smile disappeared, and she snapped her wit- whip expertly, giving his shoulder the briefest sting of sharp pain. Answer when you're spoken to, slave, she hissed, stepping towards the two men. Such disobedience, if repeated, will lead to a second whipping, perhaps a bootlicking. Do I make myself clear? Kirk was beginning to get the idea, and he felt himself grow aroused in spite of himself. <laughs> yes, Yes, mistress, he answered, his voice growing husky with desire. He had often dreamed of being dominated in bed by a woman, especially one as shapely and commanding as this one, but had never had a chance. Oh, Jones, you rogue, he thought. Of course this would be your new business. That's better, the dominatrix purred before pushing him to his knees with a hand placed firmly in his hair. Because you are such a quick learner, I will accept your apology by way of kissing my boots. Now. But now that she was closer, Kirk felt his eyes widen in shock. Could it be... Ohora, is this why you and Jones were in? Before he could finish his sentence, his mistress, definitely though unbelievably, his usually meek communications officer, slapped him hard across the face. Speak when spoken to, she growled, and kiss my feet before I decide to punish you further.
0: <laughs> I love it, Caitlin. Keep going. Oh my, we're God. almost there. Oh God! <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh God, Kirk. <laughs> Sorry, brace myself. Sorry. Kirk, his erection strengthening. <laughs> Stop! I like I, I. tried growing. I tried thickening. There's no way to imply that an erection is getting more erect.
1: There's no good increasingly word for it. turgid.
3: Kirk, his erection increasingly turgid at the sharp. No, that doesn't make any sense. Growing, it increasingly. It doesn't. Turgid. Doesn't. Okay, fine. Kirk his erection growing increasingly turgid at the sharp pain of the slap and the commanding tone of Uhura's voice, hurried to cover his mistress's boots with fervent kisses. As he did so, he heard her chuckle and could feel her shifting her weight from foot to foot as she adjusted the strap-on belt around her waist. That is better, she whispered. Suddenly, she attached collars with leads to the necks of both Kirk and Finnegan. Where had she been hiding those, Kirk wondered, (laughs) mystified, and led them, forcing them to crawl on all fours to a long, waist-high bench. The legs of the bench were fitted with handcuffs, and after directing the two men to lay across the bench so that their legs and arms hung over on either side, Mistress cuffed their ankles with the grace of an expert. Kirk was nearly giddy with excitement. He couldn't wait to find out what was coming next. It was then that Mistress walked around to face the two now immobile men to cuff their wrists. Before doing so, she told them to remove their underclothing. Upon doing so, the arousal of both men was quite apparent, and Mistress smiled before snapping their handcuffs securely around their wrists. After doing so, she selected a bottle of lubricant, water-based, Kirk noted, not desensitizing, which could be dangerous, and started rubbing some of it onto her impressively large strap-on, an alluring smile on her face. Now, servants, all channels open.
0: Mm. The end!
3: (laughs) Holy shit, Kate. And that is why it's called Where No Man Has Gone Before.
1: Oh my. Well, Finnegan apparently has.
3: No, in his ass. In Kirk's <laughs> ass. That's where no man has gone before. Ah,
2: Maybe Finn we don't know. Well, I don't know
3: about Finnegan's ass, but I'm no, well,
2: we don't know about Kirk and Finnegan. That's
3: true. That's true. Maybe so some anyway. of their
2: wrestling matches ended differently. Oops, I'm
3: accidentally inside you. That sounds right. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> oh god. So yeah, that's that's a story I wrote today. <laughs> well, I'm well, glad okay, we got
1: then. some light porn.
2: Yeah.
0: I've been waiting for you to write light porn for us, Caitlin. Oh
3: well. That's also, nice. I
1: mean you you finally made them reach the logical conclusion of all the unsubtle BDSM that we found scattered throughout the US. This is TMS. true. That's true. It, th- you, it still works thematically.
2: Did you just find that in, like, an archive of unpublished Roddenberry writing? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you think he would write it that well?
2: a <laughs> yes, good point. That
3: well, she said in air quotes. So, like, what happened was with my draw was, like, I really wanted there to be, like, a sex element, but I also didn't want it to be, like, weird and fucky for Uhura because I just feel like she's kind of... She's gone through enough as Ahura, so I thought, uh... Were you actually the one who suggested it, or did I come to the conclusion?
1: I do not remember, to be honest.
3: I was discussing, at any rate, with with Chris, like, I don't know how to do it. And then one of us was like, maybe she could be a dom. And... a dominatrix. And I was like, yeah. She could do the fucking for once. So that's how... that's why that happened. And, um... Originally, like I don't know, I like I thought like maybe No Jones would be involved in the act, but then I thought this actually this literally occurred to me today that he could just be some kind of weird space madam, whatever you call it, Harry Mudd. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically. Mm. So well, just, he's not. I mean, he's not even a pimp. He's like. Well, more like a madam, like he's just running the brothel. I don't know. Mm. Well, and actually, and the other thing is too, like I was saying, I wish that I'd had like more time and more. No, that we needed more time when I mean, we came up with this ages ago, but I just put it off because that's what I do. But like in my in my larger expanded like concept, Sereno Jones is actually trading in fantasies, not just in brothels. So oh, it's go. actually been a horror's fantasy to dump be a dominatrix. He throws Kirk in. To try to teach him some humility, because a dominatrix will probably humiliate you. But I wanted to make sure that it was apparent that Kirk was into it, because I didn't want to imply that it was against his will, like, too much, because that would just be gross. I don't want that, so that's why I was like, oh yeah, he's got a boner, he's really into it, it's fine. Growing more increasingly turgid. Yeah, more increasingly turgid. New episode title. Telescoping.
1: Oh, oh, that would have been good. <laughs> Telescoping erection. <laughs> I will say though, I gotta, I gotta be an asshole. There is one thing. Finnegan's hair is straight and blonde.
3: I couldn't remember what he looked like, and I didn't have time to Google that shit.
1: Oh, that's okay. Maybe he's changed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kirk winds up with curly hair by the movies somehow. Yeah, so. we'll see. Apparently perms become big at some point in the future.
3: And I had initially sort of wanted to get more into, like, why Cyrano was able to get rid of the Tribbles. I kind of wondered that. Yeah, I didn't... There wasn't an answer.
1: He just glued everything down. More. Everyone held on, and they opened an airlock. It lock. seems
2: like if you... Well, you could do that, or just stop feeding them. Or, like... Stop just, giving them a source of food. Or just feed them poisoned grain, because some of them are yeah.
3: born dead, aren't they? Don't they say that? Like, born Yeah. Dead. No, well,
2: they're born... They die from the <laughs> grain. Yeah.
3: But, like, weren't they giving birth also to ones that were not alive? Or am I making I that
2: remember. up? I don't remember that. At any rate,
3: I don't know what the answer is. He did something. I don't know. It, it, so there was, like, lots of ideas that were going in the round. But again, like, by the time I got to the sexy part, I was already on page 5 of 7, so it was, like, there wasn't yeah. time to explore all this other
0: shit, but I would have liked to have. Normally, the sexy parts start on 7 of 9. And yeah. nine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Jake. Uh, well, so anyways, that's, yeah. there it is. Yeah, that was fun.
2: Am I up? You are
3: you're off. Oh, uh,
2: I don't right. know. Are you? Really <laughs> that? who'd you have again? I had Scotty, Yeoman Rand, Nurse Chapel, Ooh. and Gary Seven's cat Isis. <laughs> Damn. Why are you
0: glaring at me when you say? I don't you? know. Yeah. That is, I think Isis is a great character.
2: I think Isis is a great character. And you're uh, refusing to tell us the title of your piece until the end. I just don't want to. I just want to spoil something in it, and I'll tell you the title at the end. Be forewarned. This gets rather dark. It's rather dark. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not an upbeat dominatrix Fugfest. story. And uh, I also I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I'm gonna I can't really do a Scotty, so I might just do like a pirate voice. You. <laughs> Can you do a Shrek? No. A hey, chief engineer's log. <laughs> I don't know if this works, Jake. (laughs) Stop doing a time warp. The Enterprise has traveled back in time to the 20th century. The captain ordered us here for, as he said it, historical research. The bloody thing nearly destroyed the dilithium chamber. (sighs) We're orbiting Earth, using the shields to stay obscured from their primitive radar. Captain Montgomery Scott paused. I. "'If the return trip causes us to blow another power relay out!' He felt a hand on his shoulder. "'Janice. "'Monty. "'You're supposed to keep these things professional.' She was gorgeous. (laughs) Scott had never really considered her appearance before, but once she let her hair down, she was quite fetching to his eyes. That's what the captain wants. Scott pressed the button to stop recording. The new directives on board were starting to chafe. Before the incident, he was never required to make log recordings. Things will change soon, he thought. Bloody soon. He sighed. Aye. (laughs) Also, Janice continued, you should be starting your logs with first officer's log. Why did the beard, the bearded half-breed bastard promote me to first officer in the first place? He knows I've no knack for command. He could feel his adrenaline rise. I'm an engineer! Truthfully, he did know why. Ever since the incident, the others who had been to the other ship had been vanishing. First the captain, then the old sawbones, and finally the comms officer. All three vanished out of thin air. "'Scott was sure it was Spock's doing. "'He can't be rid of me yet if he wants the ship to run. "'He's trying to keep me under his thumb. "'Like that old saying, "'Keep your friends close and your enemies closer.' "'Janice sauntered over to the wet bar "'and pulled out two glasses. "'As she poured them each a glass of single malt, "'she mused, "'Where I'm from, we say it differently. "'Keep your friends close and your enemies dead.' She smiled wryly, handing Scott a glass. And he is your enemy, Monty. Scott whiffed at the glass, taking in a breath of smoke and peat. Before he could touch his lip to the rim, a voice boomed from the comm unit by the door. Bridge to Scott! A new voice, not as pretty as the young Uhura's. Setting the glass down, he walked over to the panel and pressed the talk button. Ay. The voice continued. "'Sir, we've intercepted what appears to be a transporter beam destined for Earth.' "'Lassie, that's plain impossible! It's 1968!' Ignoring Scott's incredulity, the voice went on. "'The beam has been routed to the transporter room.' "'I... chapter Two. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Christine Chappell had been waiting in the transporter room for eight minutes before Monty Scott sauntered in. "'Why does Spock keep that drunkard around?' she wondered." Since the disappearance of Sawbones McCoy and her promotion to CMO, Christine had been pulling double duty as both a doctor and the captain's woman. Once this buffoon is out of the picture, Spock will make me his number one. (laughs) Mm. Despite their romantic involvement, Spock was never forthcoming with his machinations, though she was certain that he had no love for the Scotsman. "'Where is this intercepted transport?' Scott asked impatiently. Arms folded, Chapel blithely remarked, "'We were waiting for you. Needed to finish your drink?' <laughs> <laughs> "'That will sting him,' she reckoned. Most of the crew was aware of Scott's proclivity for drink, but Christine was in the unique position to know how bad the problem was. If Spock doesn't take care of him, surely he'll stumble down an open turboshaft one of these days.' Never mind. Just get the sodding thing done with. Scott nodded to the transporter operator who pulled back on the controls. Nervously, the two duty sentries readied their phasers, as did Scott. As the transport completed, a man stood on the pad, apparently human, dressed in a suit and holding a black cap. Scott took a step toward the mysterious man, but before he could speak, the man barked, Who are you? "'Why have you intercepted my transport?' "'Aye there, laddie,' Scott said in a commanding tone that caught Christine off guard. "'I'll be asking the questions round here. First of all, you're about two hundred years early to be using a transporter beam. "'My name is Gary Seven, and you're interfering with a very important mission to Earth.' "'A look of confusion came over the man's face. "'You're Scottish?' Chapel had begun to scan the man and his feline companion with her tricorder. He's human, all right, she confirmed, at least as far as this thing can tell. Ignoring her, Scott continued the interrogation. Mission? What kind of mission? Listen, I, I really don't have time to discuss this. It- it's imperative that I reach Earth. You yeah, aren't a-going anywhere, laddie. Scott turned to the guards. Seize him and take him to the stockade. As the guards move in, the man dropped the cat and lunged towards them. He twisted the first sentry's arm and chopped him on the neck, knocking him unconscious. Panicked, Scott fired his phaser. As the beam hit his torso, the man let out a loud howl. His muscles tensed briefly before he crumpled to the transporter pad. Chapel hurried over to him, tricorder in hand. He's dead, Scott, Chapel said impassionately. <laughs> she learned from Spock not to display emotion in front of the crew. In reality, she was elated with this turn. You were responsible for this he was a prisoner of the empire and ye- and should have been interrogated Aye, woman i bet you couldn't no way to get him to get to work on him probably better he died this way than in your chamber of horrors in the corner the frightened cat growled and hissed and what shall we do with the pussy
3: <laughs> stop <laughs> chuckle
2: Chappell- <Wrong> story <laughs> Chapel hated cats or rather they tended to hate her but the captain had on occasion expressed a affinity for them. I'll take mm. it to the captain as a gift. She picked up the cat, which to her surprise didn't scratch her. As Scott began to leave, the conscious sentry piped up. Uh, Commander, what about Leslie? He indicated the still unconscious sentry lying on the pad. Aye, when he wakes up, put him in the booth. A guard who can be taken down with one punch, punch ain't a serve on this ship. My ship. Christine thought. Chapter 3 Janice gently massaged Scott's shoulders as he sat on the edge of the bed, sulking into his now empty glass. Why did he move into Kirk's quarters? he asked rhetorically. They were no bigger than his. There's got to be something about that room! Janice was playing the part she'd been playing since being assigned to Scott. She'd found that a supportive demeanor helped keep his arms by his side when he was drinking, though sometimes there was nothing she could do. In her mind, this was on all a means to an end. She could put up with a drunk Scotsman. She could not put up with being merely a first officer's woman. Those should be your quarters, Monty, she said, adopting the familiar tone she'd mastered I checked the record tapes for when the sawbones and Uhura vanished. There was a power surge coming from those quarters. Janice had heard this conspiracy theory a dozen times before. (laughs) She had to admit there was something odd about the way the others disappeared. But she was skeptical that Spock had access to some form of vanishing ray hidden in his quarters. Scott stood and began pacing. An ominous sign Janice feared. And that witch chapel... You should have seen her in the transporter room. It's her that's been trying to get rid of me. You should act before she gets any ideas. Janice was always quick to reinforce negativity towards Christine. Once they had been friends. There's something not right about an earth woman spending so much time with a green-blooded monster. Besides, she reckoned, Chapel had neither the brains to be a doctor nor the looks to be a captain's woman. The door chime rang. Janice could see that Scott was visibly drunk. This was no time for visitors. Be gone with ye! Scott barked. A moment later, the door slid open to reveal the Vulcan captain accompanied by his personal guard. Scott straightened up instinctively, but almost lost his balance in the process. I trust I'm not disturbing you, Mr. Scott, Spock said, knowing he had. (laughs) (laughs) The captain spent most of his time sequestered in his quarters in meditation, and Janice hadn't seen him in for weeks. His beard was different. Longer, perhaps. I reviewed Dr. Chappell's report on the incident in the transporter room. Ensign Crummel verified her report. Both indicated you shot and killed an unarmed prisoner before interrogation. Aye, Captain, Scott slurred. He was... Violent, and took down Leslie. Besides, he was trying to get to Earth. He could have changed our future. Mr. Scott, I need not remind you that there are to be no executions of prisoners without my direct orders. As well, did it not occur to you that it is we who are out of place in this time period, and that by interfering you may have affected our timeline? Your agonizer, please. Spock extended his hand. Captain, it was an execution... Your agonizer. Scott pulled the agonizer unit from his belt. Janice felt a twinge of fear. The mere sight of an agonizer was enough to cause anxiety for anyone who'd experienced its effect. Nevertheless, a part of her couldn't help but relish the thought of Scott, for once, being the one to scream and writhe on the floor of this room. Spock took the agonizer and pressed it briskly into Scott's pectoral. As it actuated, the engineer let out a scream no doubt heard three decks away. The captain held the device in place for what seemed to Janice to be minutes, finally releasing it. Scott sunk to the floor, unconscious. "'Miss Rand,' the captain said, nodding as he turned face and left. Janice sighed. The small amount of satisfaction she got from watching Scott's punishment was replaced with fear for the state he'd be in when he awoke. Between the hangover from the Scotch and the hangover from the captain, perhaps if she had coffee ready it would soothe his temper, she figured." She picked up her phaser and set it to minimal heat. (laughs) It'll all be worth it, she thought. Chapter 4 Gone. All gone. Nothing I can do for him now. Must leave. Must escape. The mission is critical. Isis sat grooming in the corner of the captain's suite. It was the only thing she could do. She had never seen violence like this. Brutality was foreign to her. Now her companion was gone and her mission in jeopardy. A voice boomed over the loudspeaker above the door. All hands, this is your captain. Today we witnessed a great day for the Empire. The United States successfully launched the Phoenix Four weapons platform into low-earth or orbit. Isis rose in panic. No, it wasn't supposed to be like this. We were to stop this. She arched her back. The voice continued. As we know from our history, this platform was integral to initiating the Great War, which led to the unification of Earth and the rise of the Terran Empire. This was a momentous event. All hail, Captain Out. No, no, no! Just then the door slid open. Isis prepared to race for it, but then she noticed the man standing at the threshold. That's him. That's the man who killed Gary! She noticed as the door closed behind him. Nice, Kitty, (laughs) the man said in a patronizing tone. She hissed at him and growled. He was carrying a device of some sort, which he began waving about the room. Now, where are you, you buckered thing? The man said aloud to himself. As he paced the room with his device, Isis could feel the anger building inside her. Gary, our mission. Finally, the man stopped in front of an upholstered panel on the wall. Hey, what have we here? He mumbled. Isis could take no more of it. Disguise be damned! Mustering all her enger- in energy, she transmuted into her humanoid form. The man, noticing her, move- n- noticing her movement, turned around and dropped his device. Who the bloody hell are you? She growled loudly at the man. In that moment, all the rage inside of her bubbled to the surface. She'd never experienced this before. To her, the man was prey. From her forefinger, she extended her claws—four-inch, razor-sharp knives. She'd never used them in this form before.
1: Now, lassie,
2: just relax. I'm just here to fix the... She lunged at the man, screaming. The first swipe tore at his throat, blood spattering up against the walls. The man crumpled and grasped at his neck. Isis let out a fearsome scream, striking her claws deep into the man's chest and pulling downward. The man, now lying on the floor in an expanding pool of blood and gore, gurgled helplessly. Isis raised her arms for another swipe, but demurred. It was done. All of
0: it. Damn, the Revenge of ISIS.
2: Assignment Terra. Ah.
3: <laughs> Assignment, a way better episode than Assignment Earth. Yeah, true. it was.
2: Assignment, <clears throat> ISIS murders a man.
3: I loved it. I will amazing. say
1: your accent actually slowly went from pirate to something a little more akin to sort yeah, of Scottish. I was gonna say yeah, yeah
3: I got there. Reminded me a lot of Billy Connolly and. Boondock
1: Saints, mm, mm. or uh, or initially Billy Connolly in Muppet Treasure Island.
2: Mm. That was fun. I enjoyed revisiting the mirror universe. Yeah, yeah. good idea. That was Jamie. really good. Yeah, I couldn't try to. I was like, how do I get these characters in the same place at the same time? And I was like, well, why don't we just revisit the Simon Earth, and then let's have Scotty get murdered by ISIS.
3: I like that they called him Monty. Mm.
2: Yeah, well, that was know, pretty good. Janice I like the uh, you know
1: the the, the continual plotting. That is integral to the mirror universe. Yeah, Yeah,
0: the the captain's woman and the first first officer's woman. All the the women, they're they're just moving up through the ranks.
1: Yeah. Mm That's that they're really running the By banging. Like they do. Mm. Mm.
0: The women. (laughs) Uh,
2: What can you do?
1: And of course the the make him his number one joke. I like that. Yeah.
2: I tried to work in as many in jokes as I could. Mm -hmm. No, it was good. Love it. The Phaser Coffee. Yep, no. That was fucking awesome. I loved it. Thank you. Well done, Jake. You all did very well. Everyone yes, did. think well. we did. This Thank was you. this was fun. It was fun and informative. Was it? Well, not really. But it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> did you
3: learn something from mine, Jake?
2: More what? than I had anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned things about myself.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: Ames, we got a website where you can find some stuff. What? Oh my! Increasingly
3: no. turgid. <laughs> 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 you
1: know what? Never mind. That's what I'm calling this episode.
3: Increasingly turgid. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should
1: yes. not. yeah well see ya so yes uh thank everyone for joining us. Oh uh, I did have one other
0: thing so I'm a crazy person uh and because I noticed after we drew all of our lots from from the the various hats I noticed oh man all these these names that aren't getting used and every single one of the names that of oh, the the guest stars that Jake came up with were, did not get used for some sad reason and uh-huh. I felt mainly because I felt bad for Jake which is me. which is why I do most things, um, <laughs> uh, but also because I had an, a, another idea that would not have worked with sentient cloud. <laughs> somehow, sadly, uh, I decided I'm going to write a secondary fanfic that I'm going to release on the internet. So Yay. keep an eye on our Tumblr for that Woo. because it will in- include all of the other very like eight, eight more guest stars in hilarious roles that nice. I think people will enjoy.
1: Oh, and we will eventually be releasing the ones we read off today.
0: On the Tumblr.
3: So you can read them as
1: text.
0: Got to type mine
1: up. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us for our second 10 forward. Uh, Next week we actually will be starting the animated series. Just as a reminder, the episodes are Beyond the Farthest Star and Yesteryear. Uh, you know. Yesteryear. Do check out our Tumblr, uh, SSHB Podcast. There's already some articles up there, and again, we will be putting the fanfics you heard today and Ames additional fanfic in the near future. Do please find like our Facebook page, Start to Steer Her By, and we're also SSHB Podcast on Twitter. Thank you very much for joining us for Start to Steer Her By. This has been Chris.
3: This has been Ames. This has been Caitlin. And this
2: is always Jake.
1: Thank you for listening.
3: Be sure to tip your yeoman.